Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Dan Holbert talks about emergency accommodation and how he has raised £6 million in investor finance in the past 12 months to provide 1,452 properties for emergency accommodation. He shares some great advice about building relationships and raising funds. Hi, Dan. It's great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, I was just saying, charging around slightly, but I'm here and all settled. So, <laughs> <laughs> Dan, for people who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone, please? No. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just stop it there, shall we? That's, That's it. End of podcast. Yeah, brilliant. That's easy. <laughs> um, yeah, so those who don't know me, obviously Dan Holbert. Uh, I've been in and around property for the last 20 years. Um, started mainly in construction, uh, but we were flipping properties. Um, I say we, uh, my dad was doing it and we were sort of on the tools and helping out back in the day. So that would, would have been like sort of early 2000s. Um, no, no education from that side of it at all. Dad sort of studied a few books, but never really went into the full education side of it um and then yeah construction set up my own con- contracting company and then i sort of niched into working with investors uh to help them build their portfolios and that included uk and international investors and um yeah now it's the main focus is yeah built a portfolio obviously um uh we do developments now and the main focus is the emergency housing in 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 london at the moment uh we're looking to expand it uh, but at the moment the focus very much is uh is london i think it's 13 or 14 councils that we're working with um in in the london areas uh, so a big area that you're covering um yeah it's it's, it's yeah it's huge <laughs> yeah it's massive <laughs> i say we want to go uk wide but obviously london's a big big area anyway yeah, there's lots i'm of sure there's masses of demand there without yeah. going any further really yeah, do you want yeah. to talk a little bit about the emergency housing tell us a little bit about what that is for people who don't know about it yeah so simply um you know this is not easy to execute by any means but the simple version is we work with private landlords, we work with private investors, and we work with local authorities. The end use is emergency housing, temporary accommodation, um, and we do those on two to four fixed uh, year terms under FRI leases, so full repair and insuring leases. Um, and um, yeah, so we get, it's a, it's a, I love it because it fits my values because it's you know, helping people, it's a really good end use. We're trying to obviously help people that are in need the most. We're building a really good business with good values. Um, we've got really good support with investment um, to, to get the landlords on board. And obviously, we've also got um, a very good base of um, landlords, private landlords that, you know, want um, want just guaranteed money coming in and don't want the hassle of uh, having to deal with maintenance and management. So in, that's the simplistic thing in simplistic terms. <laughs> so to, 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 the... to do that, it isn't so, it's not so easy, but <laughs> no. I, I make it sound easy, but it bloody isn't. No, it's hard work, absolutely. Mm. So so when you're talking about emergency housing, you're talking about short-term housing for people in need. Is is that essentially, who, who are the tenants? Who are the sort of people? Yeah, so sometimes, sometimes we have, um, you know, there, there's um, 
government-backed grants uh, for uh, homeless, the Homeless Reduction Acts. Um, but, uh, you know, that homeless is one of the biggest um, problems in, mm. in, in London, especially. Uh, but it could be, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately not for escaping a domestic abuse. It could be um, something like Grenfell, like fire and flood or something like that, where, you know, they need accommodation very quickly. Um, and the thing is with London, a lot of so people that don't understand this side of it, it mainly in London, they were doing um, and some of them still do hotels and bed and breakfast. That's basically what they were doing. So mm. get them in short term. But if you imagine you've got a family of four, you know, even like a family of five, three kids, and you know, you're going to need at least four, four rooms, if not five rooms in a hotel or a bed and breakfast with no cooking facilities it's just not practical and it's just not um, mainly not practical, but it's bloody expensive as well because there's mm. five rooms. So what they've done is a lot of the councils have adopted a lease model and that's what we work with. So they'll guarantee a certain amount of money, whether they're using the property or not. We get paid regardless. And obviously we pay the landlords regardless um, and we pay our investors regardless. So um, for those fixed terms, but yeah, it's, it's helping a lot of people. A lot of people. So, what kind of properties are needed, Dan? What kind of properties are you? Oh, they vary. So, it could be you know two bed two bed flats, houses, three bed flats, houses. It could be HMOs. Um, yeah, and and they're generally going to need to be licensed in some form, whether not necessarily obviously H, but HMO license or um, so, other other type of licenses. I'm trying to think what they're called now. It's gone out of my head. So that they meet certain standards, safety standards yeah. and stuff, basically. Is what yeah, it's a lot of, lot of work to do that due diligence at the front yeah. end. So, yeah. yeah. These are people who need to be in, in good, safe properties, aren't they? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're effectively, they are the sub-tenant, effectively. Mm. So. so you take, you lease the properties from the landlords and then you arrange the individuals going in and out of the property. We don't arrange that. We council. do that through the councils. Yeah. 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 We don't, we don't have any direct involvement because there can be some very vulnerable people. Mm. So it has to be dealt with um, by professional people that do that day in, day out. So obviously the council have that, that side. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you, yeah. you're bringing the properties to them essentially. Yeah. 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 And from um, comparing that with buy to lets and just thinking about how how that's different and and why it's different to, to buy to lets if you're a, a standard landlord, what what's the difference in using a emergency accommodation? Rather than so, yeah, basically, I mean, obviously, you've got to deal with the management, you've got to find the tenants, um, whereas with this for a period of time, obviously, it's not necessarily long, long term like you would with a maybe a, a, a small a young family or something like that. But obviously there are potentials to extend the leases or renew the lease, et cetera. So, um, but even for that short period of time, they're going to get guaranteed um, income and, and not have to worry about maintenance or moving tenants in and out mm. the state of the property because the council basically will deal with that side of it. Mm. So you're just letting really the difference. Yeah. Most landlords, you know, realistically, most most landlords, and I'm not tiring every all with the same brush, but me as a landlord, I don't want to manage. I personally don't want to manage tenants. Um, I'd rather manage a manager to manage the tenants. Um, that's, you know, because I'm a business owner. I see myself as a business owner. And me being in that, in that is not 
a good use of my time or skills. Um, so it's understanding trying to work with the landlords, especially like an old school mentality landlord, um, you know, trying to get them to, to sort of appreciate that you don't need to do this stuff. You could do this for two, for the next two to five years. You could, you could potentially have it hands free and not have to worry about it and just enjoy the income basically. Mm. Mm. It's, it's once you've got property up to a certain standard it's a way to be a fairly lazy landlord really isn't it you don't yeah and you know a lot of people again a lot of i've been around uh property and networking and talking to people for a long time like <laughs> business networking 15 years um property networking 10 years and the common denominator for me is most there, there's a there's a very small percentage that want to turn it into a business and actually have a mission a culture you know and actually really drive their vision whereas most people get into property and if they're honest they're either time poor or time lazy Mm. they don't want to do it they just don't want to do the day-to-day operation there's a lot of moving parts in property like in any business you have Mm. to wear a lot of hats when you start and property is no different so um you know if most people were honest and said i've got money but i'd rather someone do it all for me they would they would choose that option Mm because it's just easier and it's just less less headache of do you know what it's not so much time i think this is something i've realized over the years it's not time it's headspace to to do the things that you need to do in property (laughs) i think that's really what it's true isn't it and there is a difference in between the two yeah yeah so but yeah that that would be the what we say to the landlords is you know it, it, it helps you become time free Mm. headspace free so you don't have to worry about the, the, the day-to-day the month-to-month what's going to happen have you got you know you're going to have no one pay you and the rest of it so it just gives you a bit of peace of mind and mm. um, so yeah that's that's kind of the difference really and do you find people like the model because they they also like the fact that they're making a difference and that they're helping people do you find that is important yeah that's a 100 a factor in it yeah mm. you know um Look, there's some investors that just like invest. It's, it's, it's an investment and it's good. It's a good return. Um, then there's some investors, you know, that are really on board with the fact that it's, it is helping people. And, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, everyone's different. But mm-hmm. with the landlords, it's the same. It's, they know it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to the, the council and they're going to look after it. And so their needs are met. But they, you know, some of them are like, well, do you know what? You know, it's actually helping out some people in need at a time of crisis, etc. So yeah, it, it's it's a win-win for everybody, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we certainly find that that lots of everyone assumes landlords and property investors are evil people and they're just money grabbing. And actually, what we find is an awful lot of people want to work with us and want to let properties to supportive living providers. Same, you know, from the same things that you're saying is actually it's that feel good factor isn't it that actually you're making a difference to someone's lives as well as getting a good return and that that's you know that can be a really money's not always the driver i mean i know that sounds um it, it sounds a bit cheesy but it really isn't when you've got money coming in and you realize you don't need to work as hard for example mm. Money's not necessarily the driver. Not you know, not for everybody. Most people, there are people that just want to make more and more and more yeah. and more and more, and that's their yeah. that's that that's their value. That's their core drive, which is fine. Um, but most of the time, it's not. Money's not the driver. It's the fulfilment. It's the contribution. It's it's 
knowing that you're doing something more than that's bigger than you, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everybody's got a different view on it and that's cool. And yeah. I respect everybody's views on it. Um, some people are going to think that, you know, people are money, you say money grabbers because, you know, you're making money. But at the end of the day, those people worked hard to buy those properties mm. to get the money to do that and in some form outside of the property. So, <clears throat> you know, I think sometimes it's a perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't really do. Uh, lots of people will be listening to this thinking, well, how would I get into emergency accommodation? Sounds interesting. I like the idea that I could potentially, you know, let my property to the local authority or the council and, and do that. What What would you say about to them, Dan, about getting... Follow the links in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and get in touch. Um, you know, look, we've worked... I've got two business partners, Gary Sanford and Mohammed Islam. And Mo, like to give you a bit of background, so Mo sort of started this process over well over a year, probably two years ago now. And it was through an employee or an ex-employee that he was he had working with him that got him the contacts that he needed within the councils. It wasn't something he was planning on doing. And then Obviously, as I say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, your network is truly your net worth. It's as it's easy as it is to say, um, but it takes years to build those relationships. And that's effectively what happened. And then Gary, my business partner through Holsford, uh, was already investing with Mo. And then he mentioned it to me and said to me at the end of last year, um, so effectively as a partnership, we've all been working together since... Um, January this year right, okay. um, but it all was all kicking off mm. around October November time last year and they said like do you want to do some units and I was like well I didn't have any cash personally at the time mm. um, but I was like I know a few like close family friends that might be interested in investing it's a good return um, it's a solid model needs a bit of tweaking here and there but we can sort that out and then we said, well, let's try and get 10 units, maybe 15 units. We, I ended up getting enough investment for 47 units. <laughs> wow. And by units, you mean like rooms within a property? No, properties, actual properties. Actual so that's a mixture of two to five beds properties. Oh, okay. Um, rooms. Oh. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because everyone works them out differently. That's why, <laughs> that's why I was just checking. We say, we say units because the reason why we say units, and that's part of our language, if you like, is because they are properties, um, but we don't own them. We control them through agreements, obviously, and we manage, we manage the process. Um, so we just call them units because we know then that it's a two-bed unit, a three-bed unit, four-bed unit. Um, it's just what we've always said from from the get-go really um, but yeah they are when I say units I mean properties not yeah. rooms yeah if, if, I, if, if they're rooms I would say rooms yeah, yeah. just for your listeners really just so they understand it's, in, it's important to differentiate because everyone uses yeah. different terminology so yeah so yeah so that's kind of how it happened and then we decided to set up a sort of joint venture together and work together um, my my background has always been since being in properties using other people's money to invest right. and then pay them back for a bit of a return and then I keep the asset and that's all I've ever done whereas Gary's always done it with his own money built a really decent portfolio and Mo's done a mixture of both basically and um yeah Mo's strength was was um getting the uh, getting the 
the landlords and um, Gary's strength is looking at the operations and seeing how we can tweak things and and my my strength was getting the investors in so it was a, it was a nice partnership to to sort mm. of work all work on that together so since January since the partnerships happened we've worked with it's technically nine councils at the, in that space of time from January to now basically mm. end of end of October it'll be by the time we fulfill everything uh, from the new year we'll have another three or four coming on board and prior to the January start we had a couple of other councils that we'd worked with so effectively we, it's 14 to sort of 16 um, councils in total but in the period I'm talking about January to now it was nine we've had 50 to 60 investors work with us um, 50% of them have either reinvest, like reinvested again or because they've had their capital back mm. or, they've re- or they've put more money in. Um, it's just over six million in private finance that we've raised uh, in, since That's January. That's really impressive, isn't it? That's really big numbers. Yeah, it's, it is big numbers. Mm. It is big numbers. Um, but we've, you know, we've been, it's been my job to just keep pushing that. Two thirds of that has been through my own personal connections. Mm. And the rest has kind of been through a mixture of all of us, um, just pushing it through other connections we have got. And then we've we've now with the councils that we had, it was fourteen hundred and fifty-two un- units of properties wow. that we had to fulfil, and we've we did that last week. That's really we fin- yeah. We so, finalised it last week, and um, yeah, we were very, very happy. Very right. happy. It's, it's amazing. They're such big numbers, aren't they, of people in quite a short space of time. I get that you've all been working in this. You know, it's not that you just started in property in January. You know, you've you've brought all your experience and your skills and your backgrounds to yeah. Do that. It's it's Please. becoming an overnight. It's taken twenty years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I've but I just say I've been networking a long time. It's taken. Um, you know, 15 years of networking and connecting. And a lot of those investors that have invested are people that I met all those years ago. Um, so it's just about consistently being there and showing up. And, um, you know, a lot of the investors that have worked with us, tier two, what I call tier two investors. So for your listeners, what that means, anyone that's new to raising finance, you've got tier one, so your, your connections. So people that know you personally. Mm. No Gary personally, no Mo personally, no me personally. They'll invest. Then they might talk to someone they know and say, look, I've just invested in this. Are you interested in talking to Dan? Let's have a chat. That's tier two. We've not had anyone outside of that tier tier two. But so I wouldn't just be on social media and someone goes, oh, I see you do emergency housing. Can I get involved? through no connection no if it turned out that connection knew one of tier one or two connections then technically they would become a tier two connection if that makes Mm. sense so Mm. it's very rare that we've um we get much interest outside of our actual network because that we're trying to build our network and keep it quite um close-knit with who, who who we know really and um and i think that's important as well um with, with the business so yeah because also it's a two-way relationship isn't it you, you need to also know and like your investors as well and that make sure they're aligned with you as well as it, it needs to work both ways and I think when people start working with investors they don't really realize that they're just grateful for anyone 
who might be offering them some money, which obviously is a great position to be in. But sometimes they're maybe not the right person to work with you, are they? So I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. No like and trust works both ways. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And I mean, I remember oh, it was what it was 2012 was the first time I actually invested in my own property, like my own portfolio. And uh, I remember needing 10 grand from someone. <laughs> And I was like, anybody, just please. <laughs> um, and I remember being at a property, sorry, a business breakfast network. Um, and I was chatting away to everybody. I was just talking to, that was the only conversation I was having, basically. I wasn't even talking about my contracting business. It was just like, yeah, yeah, we just started up in property. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I remember getting this tap on the shoulder and her name was Barbara. And she said to me, she was basically a, a, a virtual assistant. That's what she did lovely lady and she just said um i know i can i've heard you a couple of times talking to people and i don't know if you're going to come and talk to me about it but i am interested in having a chat so i had a quick chat with her there and then i said do you want to meet up for a coffee and blah blah, blah. she's like yeah anyway i offered her like 10 percent, no matter what you get 10 percent um whether it's six months months, 12 months it will be within 12 months but i'll give you 10 percent you know, and it was like giving her basically everything that, giving everything away, really. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then, um, you know, and we fulfilled it. We refinanced and gave her a 10K back plus a 10%, which ended up, I think, coming out of our own pocket, 500 quid each out of mine and my mate's pocket um, <laughs> to, give her the, to give her the interest um, because we didn't ref- it didn't refinance as much as we wanted it to. Oh. Um, um, but you know it, these things these things happen in property but as long as you do what you say you're going to do and you actually pay what you pay mm. it's fine but it's just yeah now it's a lot more discussion around you know what's important to the investor and is this the right investment for them because if it's not I, I will not sell it I do not sell it at all no. not from a not from a point of view of what traditional sales is it's very much that this is what it is. It might not be for you. It might be for you. There's no pressure from us. Mm. If you feel like this is the right opportunity, then we'd love to work for, work with you. You know, you know me. I know you. Mm. However, if this isn't, there's this, this, and this that we do as well, and it might be more uh, to your liking. It might be more to your risk appetite, etc. So I'm trying to find this. Nothing. It's not about me at all. Um, all I can do is offer my integrity my my trust my values to the party and then if they're if they like what they see and and they believe in me and the business then it's a win-win and that's how it should be Mm. and that's it that's it I think as soon as someone starts feeling pressured around money particularly people back off don't they or yeah you should never pressure no and this is why this is why I hear this argument on social media and in training things and oh, what what comes first, like, you know, obviously the chicken and the egg, but what comes first, investment or the property? Like, for me, investors come first. Mm. Like, I, I, there's, that's my opinion. Whether people agree with that or not is up to them. But I think you should be building relationships with investors now. And the last thing you want to do is pre- pressure someone or have nothing lined up when a deal comes along because oh if it's a great deal money come money will come that is sorry that's absolute 
bullshit. It's just absolute BS because I've had lots of deals come along and I've not had the money in early days mm. and I've missed out on them. Mm. But have I missed out on them? Because everything happens at the right time yeah. anyway. So for me, it's, yeah, line up your relationships with people that you feel you can work with that you might know have money or know they know some people that might have money so they're the sort of strategic partnerships and relationships you need to be building now if you're getting into property right now that's what you need to be doing in my opinion first um, and, and then have you who have you found are the people with money are they the people that before you got into this would have thought would have been the people you thought would have had money in the room when you're chatting at an event I do not judge. So I, I've got a saying, be curious, not, not judgmental, which isn't saying that's a, out there anyway, but yeah. in my, that I stick to it. And I, I just talk to anybody. Mm. Um, because it's not always something that I learned very early on in networking is be a farmer, not a hunter. Okay. And it's about cultivating relationships and, and um, people don't want to cultivate anything these days. <laughs> they want to plant the seed and then they want to harvest it the next day. Um, and cultivation is a, is a process that is the most important part. Mm. Obviously you have to plant the seed, which is important yeah. and you have to harvest it at the end. But if you're not looking after it in the middle and supporting it, then it's never going to happen. So for me, cultivation is a big thing so that's why it's become be a farmer cult, you know go in show up plant the seeds tell them what you're doing but follow up you know say to them it was great to meet you blah 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 and then you but you might follow up two or three times you might follow up and this could be over a space of a few months you know and then if you like what you are both talking about and there's some sort of synergy there, then meet up for a coffee or go for lunch or whatever. You know, don't just go straight in for the meetup because it might be a complete waste of time for both of you. So for me, it's about cultivating the relationship first, understanding their wants, needs, desires, and then going for, let's take this a little bit further. Let's see what else we can do and explore it a bit further. Um, and I don't think people do that. No, and that consistency can be through social media as well, can't it? As well as yeah, of course it can. Yeah, yeah. It might be like so. When I go to a network, I mean, I don't do a lot of what I call um, normal networking anymore. I don't go to like pin meetings or progressive meetings anymore. I, I up till probably um, yeah, just before lockdown. I was actually running my own network event. I built I built up an event called the Property Vault in Kent, and I've been running it for like four or five years. We were getting fifty to hundred people every month. Um, you know, it's a really good um, network. I, I enjoyed it, uh, but it did get a bit. It was like quite hard work towards mm. the end because there's a lot a lot of things going on. And about then, I sort of kind of stopped networking. Really, I stopped going to other people's networks that were just regular monthly meetups, basically, is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, but when I used to go to them, I would talk to someone, get a card, and then I would go on social media. I'd connect with you know, I'd email and blah, blah, blah. But I'd go on social media first and see if there's any connections, see if they know anyone that I know quite well. And then I'd say to, say to the, on the, on the email, say, it's great to meet you, blah, blah, blah. 
oh, I see you know. And if they didn't, I wouldn't say anything. But no. if, but nine times out of ten, they knew someone that I knew fairly well. So mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I see you're connected with so-and-so on LinkedIn or Facebook mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I'm just Facebook stalking you or something. I'll make a joke of it. Just, mm-hmm. So just, just checking out if you knew anybody I knew. And then, I, you know, to keep it nice and transparent and just say, look, yeah, I think there's some potential synergy there. Or do you fancy having a, a call or... It just depends on who it is and the, the conversation you have depends on how you answer the, um, or do the follow-up. But, yeah, it's, for me, it's show up, follow-up, meet up. Mm. It's a simple process, but it does work. Well, obviously, look how much money you've raised. So, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting um, concept with it all, to be honest. I, I, I mean, I... I find it fascinating with connecting with people and, and that side. But yeah, definitely be a farmer. A hunter is just someone who goes in, gives their cards out, and goes home, sort of thing. Yeah. You see them. You, you, Lisa, you've been. Yeah, you've, we all you, seen them. Yeah. You've been to networks. And you've seen <laughs> seen that person going around just giving their cards out and and well, uh, people who brag that they're doing three networking events in one evening. You're like, okay, fine. yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. But what I do do with those people um that you do meet like that i still follow up with them mm. Mm. and i'll just say to them hey, it's great to meet you i see you got around a lot of people ha ha <laughs> and i'll just make a bit of a joke of it and then just say look you know if you um it depends on what you're doing i said it might not line up with what i'm doing right now but let's maybe have a chat and see where we can go and nine times out of ten those people don't even get back to you no because no. they don't give a monkey's no, and they no. don't know how to work. They don't know how to work the room properly. No, no. So yeah, don't be a hunter. Be a farmer. Great advice, there, Dan. Thanks ever so much. It's been great chatting to you today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs>